Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to another episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we're joined by Nigel Jones, the Sales and Marketing Director of Practice Plan for nearly 13 years, the, number, the UK's number one provider of practice branded dental membership plans. And prior to this, I know that Nigel was the Business Development Director at Virgin Healthcare, which I'd love to hear some more about, and also in different directorship roles, 14 years as Commercial Director at Dem Plan and also Hippo Waste and a number of other businesses, but they, they're, they're not in healthcare. So, Virgin Healthcare, uh, at the beginning of 2007, was setting up primary healthcare centres. So how did that come about? What was it like working for, for Virgin? Uh, well, well, hi, Andy. Uh, it, was, um, it, it was absolutely brilliant working for Virgin, if I'm honest with you. I, I was part of a project team that um, were responding to a request from uh, Mr. Branson himself, um, who wanted to um, find ways of supporting the NHS um, uh, in its challenges going forward. So really, we were just sort of assessing what the possibilities might be. And um, the, the main idea, you quite rightly said, was, was picking up on what were known as the Darcy, Lord Darcy, Darcy polyclinics and seeing whether or not we could come up with a virgin branded version that considered consisted of an nhs gp and a private dental practice at its heart with um, various therapies wrapped around the outside so physiotherapy for example that kind of thing and also in certain situations we're exploring the possibility of having the the opportunity to uh help with moving care out of hospitals and uh closer into the community with minor operations that sort of thing and uh it, it was really really fascinating because we were um operating right at the heart of the um blair government's uh, reform program for the nhs and uh just sort of getting to grips with how the nhs works how it was introducing the independent sector the whole procurement processes all of that sort of thing was was really really interesting it was uh, a devil of a job trying to make the maths work though because um the virgin brand masks what is essentially a, a massive vc and um they they uh, expect a certain level of return for their investments and trying trying to get the returns or anything like the returns that they wanted whilst adequately supporting um, the NHS in a way that was consistent with the quality of the NHS brand were, was was very difficult and we explored various things it relied hugely on cross subsidy. Um, we were even looking at things like laser eye surgery as a, a sort of highly profitable activity to subsidise the NHS activity. But it was it was a challenge. And then um, the financial crash of 2008 hit and everything got mothballed. I mean, Virgin has re-emerged um, in health providing services. And uh, it, it's, um, I think, probably finding that a little bit challenging for its brand, but it's it's definitely um, still very active in the NHS. But uh, yes, I, 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 by that stage, got the chance to be um, uh, a director of um, practice plans, so, so took that opportunity. But I, I will be forever grateful for that chance to have been part of Virgin. The respect that people have for Richard Branson is huge. 
he used to, to jet in from Necker Island and just hot desk. He didn't have an office. He would just sit in amongst all the employees. He was very, very approachable. Um, and um, I, I was lucky enough to go for a meal with his daughter, Holly, because she was um, part of the, the proposed board for this um, new venture into polyclinics. She was utterly charming. And you, you can see how the whole Branson family are, are just very adept at the interpersonal stuff. I think it's the challenge of Virgin will be um, what happens when uh, Richard retires. Because Virgin brand and, and, and all that it stands for is wrapped up in him as a personality. That uh, I, I think that's going to be a challenge. But yeah, really interesting times. And I think from the outside mm-hmm. looking in, the brand is so strong. And was the culture in the organisation, was it what you expected it to be? Was it as genuine and as friendly and as fun as perhaps the outside portrayal of, of, of what Virgin is? Yeah, that's a great question. Largely, I would say yes. Um, I mean, that brand is immensely powerful. Oh, right? And uh, all the, it, well, the research um, that, that I was privy to was, was just, uh, you know, amazing because things like that, that you had Virgin Mobile at the time and um, separately you had T-Mobile. And actually they shared the same technical platform, but when um, customers were surveyed as to how how they found the technical performance, um, there should be no difference whatsoever. But Virgin customers consistently scored the technical performance much higher than T-Mobile customers. So it, it, it was, it was, you know, that, that brand is, is amazing. There, there was a lot of the elements of the fun and, and that sort of slightly relaxed nature, but there was also a very, very hard commercial edge to it that I, I hadn't necessarily um, realized would be there. I mean, I suppose you, you, to be that successful, you have to have a hard commercial edge. And, but I tell you, the other thing that I found really interesting about Virgin was um, what, that they do the classic thing of fail fast, Actually, mm. they've tried loads of things that, that have just bombed, but um, they launch with a fanfare, and if they don't work, they very quietly go away. And um, I, I, I found that sort of thing really interesting. Bizarre things like Virgin Cola, which never got anywhere, is huge oh, in Virgin Africa. Virgin so Cola, my yeah. word, yeah. I think yeah, there was Virgin yeah. Weddings, wasn't there? That was another one where Richard Branson put on a white wedding dress and he launched that, but that didn't last very long mm. at all. I, I tell you what I found really interesting was I, I shared an, uh, offices or my t- the team I was part of shared offices with um, in this is back in 2007 with the newly formed Virgin Galactic. And um, oh, wow. I, it's 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 uh, it's fascinating to see how many times that's been kind of relaunched and then it's not really worked. So it's gone quiet. So so I must admit, I'd, I'd become quite cynical about its future. So the fact that it's actually been, um, you know, the success that Richard mm. Branson's achieved in the last um, fortnight or so uh, is, um, is really interesting. And again, it shows a certain amount of perseverance there. So Yeah. And then you obviously, mm. the, the lure dentistry came and raised its head and knocked on your door uh, and via den plan, you've ended up at, at practice plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had 14, um, well, 14 and a half years at Denpan. I was part of the fledgling team that um, that uh, Steve Noor, um, the founder of Denpan, had in back in 1990. I mean, Denpan was set up, sort of became pretty active in in 88, but I joined in 1990 when it's still a relatively small company. And um, I didn't know anything about dentistry and uh, imagined I was taking on a job for six months just to have the use of a company car and got hooked. <laughs> and um, Everyone needs a motivation of some sort. I it was a good car. <laughs> yeah, well, actually it was, wasn't it? It was a fairly battered Vauxhall Cavalier, but um, oh, okay, it, yeah. it, it, it was... Um, 
it was really interesting. I ended up doing 90,000 business miles a year in those early years. And um, my patch was the UK. And uh, I just went all over the place visiting dental practices. And I, and I got... I, I got hooked on on the, the dentistry and the impact that that uh, I, I found I was having, but also um, uh, on the, this whole kind of being part of a, a a business that was growing very rapidly was was quite addictive, and um, hence hence six months turned into fourteen and a half half years. I then I then left actually to. Um, follow Steve Knorr again into his late, where well, his venture at the time, which was um, Hipper Waste, as you, you mentioned, Andy. And um, it, it was, um, I, I thought it would be the, the addiction of the, the rapid growth thing that would, uh, would would get me there. And whilst conceptually it was a good idea and it was growing, I, I, I my heart wasn't really in it. And then when I got approached by um, a, a former boss of Benfan actually to to move back into healthcare, and then he took me subsequently from that company into the Virgin opportunity. Um, I realized that I, I, I was much more interested in, in healthcare and um, and I always found within that sort of Virgin Polyclinic stuff, it was the dental stuff that really got me excited. Uh, so when I got the chance to join the board of, of Practice Plan, um, uh, I, I took it and uh, my very first day was manning the stand at the... Um, what was then called the BDTA exhibition down in, in Excel. <laughs> well, and, uh, oh, we remember those, those days. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was really interesting because I was there thinking, gosh, uh, I, I've been out of, out of dentistry. Well, I mean, I mean, I was sort of touch, touching on it within the Virgin stuff, but I'd been out of it for about four years. And, um, I honestly, honestly felt like I'd come home. It was crazy. Uh, it's this sort of big extended family. There were still so many people that I knew, both from the trade and from the profession. And and I, I thought, yeah, this is this is what I love doing. This is where I feel at home. And uh, that's so true, isn't it? When you go to a show nowadays, you, you you see the same people who have circulated to either different companies, same companies. It, it is a bit like a a band of brothers band yeah. of sisters whatever yeah. you want to say it's quite an interesting one you you say that that you go oh hello oh right you're with septident now or whoever it may be and you've you've just moved within the, yeah. the profession as such just moving just moving around yeah yeah absolutely i i, I think there's I, i'm sure it's the same in in lots of other industries um but but there was something quite special um, i mean i've touched on three or four separate um sectors now and there's something quite special about dentistry. I think I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's 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 very. I, I find it very friendly, very warm, very welcoming, and um, and just very interesting. To be honest, mm-hmm. I like the innovation of it. You know, there's there's always new techniques. There's always new equipment. Uh, there's always new um, innovations. Providers coming into the market, and through our finance company, we deal in some other healthcare sectors. Um, sort of optometry and pharmacy and veterinary and, and not as much changes in those sectors as, as it does in dentistry um, and, and I also agree I think they're a really nice bunch of I people think, I think genuinely they're just yeah. the vast majority aren't they are, are just actually nice yeah. people <laughs> yeah they're, they're, they're not unpleasant they're they're friendly mm. they're just they're good guys you know there's some that aren't yeah but they're in a, such a small minority um, yeah, fascinating. And like you said, it, when you said it felt like you were coming home, you know, you, you, you found your place back in a, a sector where you felt you you belonged. And you're now sort of notching up nearly 30 years in the in the profession, which is no mean feat. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it you know, I sometimes have to pinch myself because it seems like only yesterday that I was going to, uh, in fact, my, my first week 
working with the profession, I, I was manning a stand again, but at the Barbican at the BDA conference and, um, of 1990. And, um, I, I, you know, it, that feels like yesterday in some senses. But it's, it's interesting what you were saying before about um, the, the innovation and how things change. Because I, I find it really fascinating because in, in, in lots and lots of ways, I'm having exactly the same conversations with um, uh, dental practitioners now as I was 30, 31 years ago. Mm. Um, so at one level, there's been massive change. And I think we're on the verge of even greater change. And another level, the themes are still quite in, um, consistent. It's mm-hmm. um, and, and in a way, I, I think I probably like that. There's there's enough that changes to keep it interesting, but enough that stays the same that it's quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're very fortunate in your role. You get to speak to lots of practice owners, uh, and obviously in the UK, we've recently had Freedom Day, where we've had our COVID relaxation down to to level zero, which means that life can get back to some sense of normality. From your experience of speaking to to dentists and practice owners. What, what do you think the lasting effects of the pandemic are on the profession? Uh, I, I think that's a really interesting question. And um, there, there'll be loads of possible, possible answers to that, um, which uh, I, I think, I mean, you're right about how many um, that I've, I've uh, spoken to. And over the years, it's, I've been in three and a half thousand different practices, which uh, I'm not sure is something to be proud about or something to be worried about, to be honest. <laughs> but it's, um, but um, I, I, so I, I I know a lot of people within the profession as a result of it, um, but I cannot remember a time when so many are, are evaluating their futures. Um, like like so many of us in in so many walks of life, I think we've been um, prompted by the the pandemic to think quite deeply about what we want out of life and what's mm-hmm. important in life. And uh, I think that absolutely applies to a lot of the dentists that I I speak to at the moment. Um, I, I think that that manifests itself in 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 all sorts of thought processes uh, i mean I, I i'm very conscious when we're having this discussion i've got a commercial agenda that that is um all about helping dentists make a success of private practice and leave the nhs but without a shadow of a doubt i think one of the things that's happened for a lot of dentists is nhs dentists is that working at the restricted patient throughput has has almost helped crystallize what life in private practice might be like a slightly more gentle pace of working um, opened their eyes to what there is yeah and and i think i think that's been it's been really interesting for them and and if you combine that with the idea that um there's more to to life um than just if you're in england meeting your uda targets and that actually life can be quite fragile and you have to kind of make the most of it i think um that people are thinking well actually do do i really want 10 20 30 years of running on this treadmill and Mm. and i think a lot of people not all by any stretch of the imagination but a lot of people are concluding that that they don't and uh i i think i for years and years i've spoken about um and I'm sure you've come across the concept Wheel of Life, which was, I think, um, yeah. created by Jack Black, who was, uh, you know, was, looks like you're very familiar with it. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a, a motivational speaker um, from Glasgow. And, uh, yeah, 
for those people that are listening that aren't so familiar with it, it, it says that uh, you, most people measure success based on the idea of your your degree of financial well-being and your career, how successful you've been in your career. And his argument is that should only be considered two spokes of a wheel where there are other spokes that are about positivity, or about health, about family and relationships, spirituality, all of those sorts of things. And I honestly think that the, um, the pandemic is making people properly understand that it was sort of like a conceptual theory type thing but now people are going actually no i've realized mm. that what was really important to me was spending time with my family and um the fact that i i couldn't get to see my my mother my father my sisters my brothers um it, it is i've made it's made me realize how important that is to me so i need to find ways of doing that more going forward and mm. and um I, I i think that is I know it might sound a slightly uh, tangential way of answering your question, but I think what that means is people are evaluating the future. I think um, you look look at the number of people that are taking early retirement from dentistry at the moment. Mm -hmm. That was already gathering pace before the pandemic. I think that will have been accelerated by the pandemic. There'll be lots of people, and I'm sure you see it in your world, who are deciding, right, well, that's convinced me that I want to sell my practice and get out now um, while I'm still kind of young enough, fit enough to be able to enjoy um, uh, things other than dentistry so so i i think i think it will be quite profound the impact and then there's all the practicalities of the pandemic in terms of um safety measures in an ongoing way ventilation requirements all of that sort of thing that that will i think will be ever evolving in in the years ahead mm. and that uh, that the, the 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 pandemic will have been uh, more about speeding that process up rather yeah. than initiating it's, it's, very, it's very observant i've not thought about what you said which is nhs practices have been working at a level which might let them peek behind the curtain, the curtain of, of what it might be like. like to run a private practice which is seeing fewer patients and perhaps mm. having more time and that might just make some of them think i actually prefer working in that mm. style yeah, that style of work suits me better. Have it's you, not that they've only done it for a month or two. It's been a long while. Have you noticed differences in ages? You know, have you noticed that since, you know, practices have reopened and sort of post the initial lockdown, I'd imagine there's a lot of people talking to you about, you know, as you say, re-evaluating. Have you noticed anything about ages? You know, is, is uh, was it at one time practice plan only appealed to younger dentists who are much more forthright and forthcoming, whereas now the older dentists have seen the benefits of a plan income during a COVID lockdown and are now saying, well, actually, whilst I might not have thought about this yeah. at 50, I, I now think I will look at it at 50. Or, or is it not really, is it too early to tell, do you think, Nigel? Uh, oh, no, I, I would say um, what, what's been interesting is that the level of, in, level of interest is, has been across the board. And uh, I, I find that really fascinating. So, um, Actually, typically what's happened is the practice that we work with or the dentists that we work with have wanted to leave the NHS and go private. They're generally um, very um, uh, hesitant to do that because they're nervous that patients won't stay with them in sufficient numbers for them to achieve their, their financial objectives. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, they underestimate the loyalty of patients. But there are some significant factors they need to consider. And one of those is how long have you been seeing your patient base? Because mm -hmm. the longer you've been seeing them, the greater the loyalty, the greater the, the loyalty, the more you'll retain when you take that step into the private sector. Mm -hmm. And um, therefore, what you, you found was actually most of the people that we were working with were probably mid 
early to mid 40s to early to mid 50s because um, so they, we can they call were, those people young. For, 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 for the people <laughs> sitting here, we, we could say they're young. Yeah, they're young. The youngsters. Yeah, the youngsters. Yeah, well, as, as someone that's um, beyond the upper end of that scale, I am, I'm entirely with you on that point. <laughs> um, but um, I, I, um, that, that group, I think, were looking at um, – that they, they had this sort of combination of a number of years left to go in their working lives and, and worrying about that tread, NHS treadmill. But they, they'd been seeing their patients for long enough to have built up the loyalty to allow them to make the move successfully. What we're seeing now is, um, and, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a recurring theme of the discussions I'm having at the moment, is that um, supply and demand factors in dentistry have changed significantly. So the supply of dentistry in terms of the clinical hours available has gone down. It's gone down, of course, because of safety measures like fallow time, but it's been going down because we've seen a shift towards part-time dentists. We've seen um, uh, more retirements. We've had the impact of Brexit and um, less European dentists willing to, to stay in the country. So, so there's been a, a lot of um, reductions in the supply of dentistry, but the, the demand for dentistry, if anything, has gone up. But I think people have become more health conscious generally. Yeah, and yeah, definitely, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is about cosmetic dentistry. The demand for cosmetic dentistry has gone oh, to the roof. So what, what, what we've seen is that um, people no longer need to worry quite so much about their patient loyalty. So to your, your question, Chris, um, actually younger dentists are becoming more attracted to, to private dentistry and therefore practice oh, plan. Okay, but, interesting. But even very young dentists now, people that um, one of my colleagues was talking to undergraduates at the weekend, and they would rather bypass the NHS altogether and go straight to private dentistry. So, so it, right way across the board, it's, it's mm. changed. Mm. I mean, from a valuation point of view, there's no doubt practices that had plan-based income during 2020 performed better in that financial year. Uh, I think you've got to take the NHS out of the equation because it's, it's, it's an anomaly. But if you look at people that purely had private fees coming in, whereas, you know, fee price and pay as you go, they had a horrendous year. Whereas the guys that had the plan-based income, actually their year wasn't, wasn't too bad because very, very few patients actually cancelled their diet debits. And I think the message for lots of dentists and practice owners coming out of that has been if we could get significant numbers of patients onto a plan where they make a regular payment, it covers rent, it covers wages, our utilities will be covered. Mm. Uh, and it's it's a safer business model than, you know, hoping that people come in for their appointments on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right with that. I, I think people too often um, think of membership plans as being a product that patients buy to help them finance their dental care. Whereas actually, <laughs> I think they should approach it. A dentist should be approaching it as a business management tool. Oh, and yeah, definitely, it, definitely. It's a, yeah, it's a business management tool for for the. The reasons that you've touched on, and I always think it is, there's three main reasons. One is secure some of your cash flow. Another is patient loyalty is enhanced because there's a direct debit-based relationship with the practice. They can't just walk down the road. They have to do something more active if they want to leave. And then there's um, loads and loads of evidence that supports more regular attendance. And if there's more regular attendance by planned patients than by um, pay-as-you-go patients, that more regular attendance builds stronger relationships and creates greater opportunities to upsell things like cosmetic dentistry. So all of that combined lends itself to those goodwill valuations that you were talking about. And um, you're dead right. So what's happened is people that had 200 patients on a plan wished they'd had 400 patients on a plan people that had 400 patients on a plan wished they'd had 800 patients on a plan so we've we've seen across 
across the board a massive growth this year as people are effectively future-proofing themselves against mm. another pandemic. Mm. Um, and, and the point about cancellations is so right. I mean, admittedly, in um, the end of March, beginning of April, we saw a lot of cancellations when lockdown was first introduced last year. But that was pretty short lived. And we're now we we have had our most successful year since 2007, when we were still benefiting from the introduction of the 2006 NHS contract. We're, it, we're we're flying at the moment, and it's it's in part because of disillusionment with the NHS prompting more people to go private, and also because those that had already gone private wish they'd had more on a plan than they did have. So, mm. also, I think as a population, I think COVID has rattled people, and it's it's kind of you know shown that we're you know human beings, um, we're to the vagaries of viruses and, mm. and illnesses and conditions. And I think because of lockdown, uh, I think they said something like 75% of people have put weight on during lockdown. I think there's just so much talk about health generally in that, you know, if you can keep your, your physical health in check, that's a good thing. And obviously part of your physical health is, is, is dentistry. Mm. And I know there's a there's a whole aesthetic cosmetic side of it, but most of it is just routine, good oral Not health. having toothache. Yeah. And I think that people have started to realise that staying physically fit and you know making sure you look after yourself in all physical elements coupled with that improved mental health you have a better life you have a better you know enjoyable uh, period that, that we're here for and i think dentistry is definitely benefited mm. from that well anecdotally don't we don't we and i think we've spoken about it before nigel you know we're here in practices saying uh, i'll take you on as a private patient but you have to join my plan um, yeah. I'm not going to take you as a private fee per item because they want to, you know, for those three reasons that you mentioned earlier, they want yeah. they want that loyalty, they want the cash flow, and that it means that they sort of effectively lock that patient into their yeah. practice. I think it's a but also a great I, I think once you take it outside of the the realm of the business management tool and you turn it into a way that a patient can receive dentistry. I think if you pay for time on a regular basis, you're much more likely to go and access that mm. service. So people pay for gym membership, and that's why gyms now hassle you if you don't go, because they know at some point you're cancelled. Mm. So if you're paying regularly to visit the dentist, you're much more likely to go because you know that you're paying for it, so you want to access the service. That's mm. good for everybody. You know, yeah, that's I mean, that, that, good for the business. I mean, that, that is absolutely right. And um, to take that line of thought, yeah, well, no, no, I mean, that, that would be an interesting requirement, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, a mask is bad enough, but Lycra would be. Uh, but uh, I think, I think um, that, that, that there's some practices that have taken that stage further and they actually prescribe membership to their patients. And the reason why they prescribe membership is they say, so you're telling me patient X, patient Y, that you want to have healthy teeth and gums for life. Well, the best way of me helping you to achieve that is if you attend on a regular basis. The best way for you to attend on a regular basis is if you commit to our membership plan. That's why I'm prescribing that you join our membership plan so that we can keep you healthy. And I think that feels a very comfortable way of positioning a plan to a patient. Mm. Because because it, it plays into the clinical aspects and the oral health aspects, which is really what dentistry should be mostly about. Absolutely. And so on the NHS side of things, what are your predictions for the future of NHS dentistry? Is it ever going to get back to what it looked like pre-COVID in terms of that volume of delivery and it being based on, you know, churning out UDAs? Or, or are we going into a new realm where it's just not going to look the same anymore? 
I, I think it's a, an absolutely fascinating time because I think NHS dentistry is on a knife edge at the moment. Of course, it, it, again, it suits my commercial um, agenda to perhaps think like that. But I, when I, I, I really try and um, discipline myself to stand back and think, actually, be objective as you can here, Nigel. And um, I, I, what I'm, I'm uh, intrigued at is... Previously, a lot of people stayed in the NHS because they were too afraid to leave. Well, because they've nearly all got waiting lists now, because that demand has so massively exceeded supply, they don't need to feel trapped in the NHS. So it's now um, got to the point where how does the NHS make itself sufficiently attractive to retain people in, mm -hmm. in the NHS when they've got very, very real choices and confidence that they've got choices and growing confidence that they've got choices. So I, I think it's fascinating because because I, I um, can, you know, I, I can see that supply and demand thing getting worse. Because as I say, we're, we're seeing a lot of dentists that are going private at the moment. They're going private sometimes because it's a very positive choice that that's what they want to do. But every time they go private, going back to that idea that they've, they've had a, a taste of what um, private dentistry is like with the suppressed activity levels, they, they are halving roughly their number of patients that they see. So that's another half of patients that are out there looking yeah. for another dentist. And that strengthens the position of, of other NHS dentists thinking about going private as well. Mm. The other issue I think that's such an important one is the whole workforce issue. And um, that, that stuff that I was talking about before, about the availability of dentists and the availability of clinical hours is a real issue for a number of practice owners trying to meet activity targets under the NHS because they, they are struggling to recruit people. And if you've got a low UDA value, you're really up against it trying to persuade someone to come and work for you when you can't afford to share enough of that UDA mm -hmm. to, to make it worth their while when they they're in such high demand elsewhere. So we're seeing time and time again, practice owners handing back NHS contracts now. And, and, and say time and time again, I'm not talking about dozens, but I'm talking about a, quite a large number. And I know the BDA have had a huge number of inquiries about how to hand a contract back. And I think that whole thing is gathering a momentum now that the NHS will find really hard to stop unless they chuck a lot of money at dentistry. Mm. And I think it's plain to see that that's going to be hard for them to do when there's so many other demands for government funding at the moment. So I, I, I honestly think we're, we're, we're seeing a, over the next year, two years, a complete reinvention of what NHS dentistry looks like. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if by 2025, we've got some form of a core service that's emerged, whether that's core in terms of what treatments are available or core in terms of what patient groups are uh, able to access NHS dentistry. But I, I at the moment, I'm you know, never say never, but I'm struggling to see how we will avoid that scenario. I must admit, I think urgent mm. hubs. I say the hubs. Has, I think it's given the opportunity. Yeah, that, that kind of A&E dentistry. But I think we're seeing the talent in the profession in certain areas of the country. They really are struggling to find, um, and not just dentists. I was going to say it's not it's, just dentists. It's, 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 nurses, yeah, and nurses. Receptionists. Cases whatever, yeah. of, of one practice, um, they had a nurse, and, and the nurse offered a, a ten thousand pound golden handshake to go to another practice just because they're they're crying out for people, and obviously. In a service industry, if you don't have a, a good quality, reliable team, everything else falls down. Yeah. You, you, can't, oh, you, you can't deliver. You are so so right with that. I was with my field team um, yesterday, and that was one of the main themes of our discussion was the challenge of recruiting and retaining both associates and the wider practice team members. And I think particularly for NHS dentists, that's hard. In, in England, where the contract value is capped, you know, you can't just 
just pay them more. It, it's it's not so easy to do that without significantly eroding your profitability. Mm. So if they could get paid more by a private dentist, where probably the working conditions are better, where probably the dentist is more able to invest in their, their dental nurse's career development, it, it's, it's hard to see how... Um, and the, the NHS average NHS practice is able to retain staff in the face of that kind of competition. So yeah. it, it it really is it is fascinating time at the moment. I can't mm. in those 30, 31 years, I can't remember a more volatile environment. Mm. And I think you can, you know, think about your Virgin experience. I know that um, people that work for Virgin Atlantic typically get paid 30 to 40% below market rate because the conditions, it's so much fun, the package is good, you know, the, the bolt-ons. But if you're a nurse working in dental practice, you, you, you need your salary. Yeah. You know, it's your salary that pays the rent. And if you're getting, I don't know, 24, 25 pounds a UDA, which means you can only perhaps afford to pay you know, an, an associate 10 pounds a UDA, which then might mean that the mm. nurse is on seven pounds, eight pounds an hour, mm. there might not just be enough in there to make it attractive. Mm. And if the private practices are doing well because of the last year, yeah, 18 definitely. months, you can see there being an outflow of, of talent mm. uh, from NHS practice. It's always interesting, isn't it, when we look at evaluation and one of the things we look at is the staff costs. Mm. And and we always say quite often, you know, when we're looking at it, it's oh, the, the, the nurses are paid so little in comparison to yeah. to what they probably have to support the dentist and and maybe that's another thing that's changed and coming to the crunch because they can earn money working front of house or yeah. working in an office that doesn't have that same mm. environment of you know, testing I was, or I was speaking clinical. To somebody the other day, and they had a nurse working in their practice who left to go and work in a supermarket because she could earn more money. I mean, and that's nuts. I mean, there's something fundamentally wrong that you can stack shelves which there's nothing wrong with stacking shelves at all but the skill level required yeah. to stack shelves compared to the skill level required to be a dental nurse you to be a qualified more. dental nurse there's I something well, there's uh, something not uh, right Absolutely, I mean, and and that qualified bit, and that that the you're registered with the GDC, and you've yeah. got CBD yeah. to do, yeah, yeah. and and that, professional that, responsibilities know, and all with that, yeah. Oh, it's 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 not right. It's not right, and I I think that's the, the challenge. Is exactly you've summed it up perfectly there. I think that how does an NHS practice respond to that that kind of uh, um, um, appealing alternative to one of their dental nurses when when the contract value is capped? It's mm. it's not like. I mean, at least in other parts of the UK, there, there, there are ways of potentially working harder and being more productive and, and, mm-hmm. and increasing your overall income. Um, albeit, I know that, you know, there's, there's lots of challenges in, in Northern Ireland and Wales and Scotland as well. But um, in England, where, where that contract value is capped, I, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know where we're heading with this. It's, it's, and I'm, I'm really conscious as I speak like that. And you say, well, of course you'd say that, Nigel, because that's what you want. And I, actually, I, I want um, a healthy NHS because, you know, I worry about the working poor. I, you know, it's one thing saying, well, maybe we end up with a core service that focuses on um, uh, people exempt from charges and children, vulnerable adults, that kind of thing, care home residents. And I totally applaud that. But there's a, a group of people just above that that um, exemption that that I. I worry about and what that means for oral health inequality i'm not sure about but that's not that that is government's responsibility to address rather than um an individual dentist yeah and you're right i think that there's you know when you look at the percentage of the population that's registered with the dentist and visits regularly <laughs> even if there was full provision of nhs if practice plan and everybody else you know offered their services to everybody that wanted it, it there all those different funding mechanisms are needed 
to mm. make sure that everybody got good or, to or get healthcare. cover, yeah, to get cover. They're all needed. So yes, yep. I get your point, and uh, you're you're very good in not wanting to overplay that there's commercial interest, but actually you're right in that you could do well, and the NHS could continue to deliver, and I think the impact it would have on on the commercial success of the of private plan providers wouldn't be that huge because mm. I think you're tapping into different markets. Yeah, I, I, and actually, I think the different markets point is a really interesting one because I think what what we've seen is actually a more positive spin put on dentistry in recent years. And and mm. whilst I, I'm sort of very sensitive to the dangers of social media and key influencers, um, I, I think that there there has been a lot of a positive endorsement about the the change to your life that dentists can can bring about. Now, those of us that work with the profession have been very aware of that, but a lot of Joe public aren't aware of what's possible. And you, you mentioned right at the start of our conversation, Andy, about the, the creativity, the innovation, the new techniques. Uh, it's absolutely amazing what can be done. And it's life transforming for patients. And uh, I think people are realising that now and starting to see dentists not as not as a profession to be feared, but as a profession that can really help unlock a potential both from a career and a, a personal life perspective that, uh, mm. that I think is going to be really interesting to see. So there's going to will it. What will emerge, I think, is a sort of if you pay your money, it takes your choice type of attitude, which mm. I think is uh, is very interesting. Yeah, well, I think we're for an interesting next few oh, I years. I think we are indeed, yeah, definitely. definitely. That's been brilliant. Actually, really good. Yeah, it's a really, really And thank you for your impartiality, Nigel. We knew you would be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we always finish up with a couple of questions. So we always ask our guests a couple of questions. And the first one is if you could be a fly on the wall uh, with somebody in a certain situation, where, where would you be and who would you be with? Well, I, 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 that's an interesting one. Um, the, if I was being really boring, I'd probably say the new chief executive of um, the NHS and the CDO of England to find yeah. out yeah, what, what, they, what they're really thinking. So don't be boring, Nigel. Don't be boring, Nigel. Do something that, that really interesting. Case, in, that, in that case, um, I, the, uh, the climate change bothers me a lot. So I would love to be um, a fly on the wall at the next G7 meeting um, so I could hear what they're genuinely talking about in terms of addressing climate change, mm -hmm. because uh, I, I, you know, I, you can sort of sense, I mean, the extreme weather conditions we've had this year in the UK, for mm -hmm. example, that people all of a sudden are thinking, no, we really do have to take this seriously. So I'd love, love to hear whether or not that's, that actually manifests itself. That one. I watched uh, recently watched um, again David Attenborough's witness statement, uh, where he charts mm. his involvement of of kind of you know monitoring the planet over sort of 50, 60 years, and it's depressing. For ninety percent of it, it's depressing. But at the end, he says that we've still got time. You know, they're talking about a, a fisheries yeah, um, a fishery zone, reserve. In, yeah, in, in in the ocean, and he was saying that if we get our act together, we can turn the tide. We can turn things around, but. I don't think we've got long, and I think we need a, a lot of people putting in the same direction. Um, I, I certainly hope we get there. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. Uh, so I, I'm looking at my kids' futures, my grandkids' futures, and all of that sort of thing. And and you know, it's maybe quite a serious. I could have given quite a flippant answer to your question there, but I, genuinely, I think yeah. I, I want to feel reassured that people have woken up to to act in time. It was yeah. more interesting than the CDO one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be. And, and the last question is, if you could meet somebody, um, whether they're still with us or not, uh, they can be fictional or a real person, who would, you, who would you like to meet and sit down and have dinner with that person? 
Well, I, I, this 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 might um, this might seem quite dull, um, but um, there's a thing well, here, it, Nigel. It, careful, you do the, no, it's, well, not the, it's not the CDO again. <laughs> <laughs> With <laughs> that would, that, oh God, you know, I know, I know, I'm a bit corporate, but I'm not. I wouldn't go that far. Um, no, um, the uh, uh, it's actually the answer you've already given, Andy, because um, I did a biology degree, hence the interest in climate change, and I graduated fully intending to become the succession plan for David Attenborough, because uh, that's I, I would have loved to follow in his footsteps. I'm quite glad that I chose a different career, given he is still not retired, and I'm just about thinking about retiring. So, so um, I'm glad that I changed course, but I would love to get an opportunity to meet with David Attenborough to explore yeah. the kind of things you've just been touching on, because I think oh. he's he's such a fascinating, interesting, compassionate. He's, he's got so many qualities, I think. Mm. Um, he's, he's the sort of person that you want to listen to as well. I'll give him a call. <laughs> but isn't he? he's, got, he's just got that voice and style that draws you in, doesn't he? He draws you in. And, and once you're then in there, that's when you get the, the really good stories coming out, isn't it? You just, you just Jones, sense. Of practice plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, I just feel that you could talk to him for hours and hours and hours because he knows so much, and he would be so polite and courteous as you yeah. ask stupid mm. questions and things, yeah. and 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 you'd come away um, kind of enlightened, educated, motivated, mm. and and probably in even more awe of the real person as you are of the guy you see on television. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah, true. No, brilliant. Very true. Well, Nigel, that's been a blast. Yeah, thank, thank you, you very so much. Thank you for brilliant. bearing with us for the IT problems as well. Um, <laughs> a, real, a real lesson in persistence there. So that was much appreciated. Absolutely. No, well, thank you both very much for your patience and, and your company. I've really enjoyed that conversation. It's been brilliant. great. Brilliant, brilliant Nigel. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks. 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 I think one of the things I thought that was, in a way, it sort of made me feel better about myself, really. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but but I've done dentistry for a long time, and I find it really interesting, yeah, and exciting as well. And it was quite nice. I can't remember the phrase he used, but it was something like, you know, he felt like he was coming home yeah. and when he found dentistry exciting. And and I think it is, you know, I I love it. I, I love the, what's going on. Yeah. I love the people. I love working in it. Yeah. And it's sort of like in one way you think. Are we a bit sad no. that we do? When but it's quite else, nice to hear somebody else says Yeah, when somebody else says it. And then I think the other wider issue, um, which is a big one that the profession has to address, is that talent and the resources and how people are leaving the profession and practices are struggling to get the people they need to deliver the services. Mm. And that that has big implications. Well, um, when you think we when we 
when we came out of COVID and we had those guys who were on 32 and a half percent. Yeah. Now there's no way they're going to be, you know, they're going to be back to normal, if not more scarcity. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I think that the, one of the other ones is really interesting, isn't it? And we touched on it is the support staff. Yeah. You know what that, that, I mean, that is shocking that, that nurse oh, no, yeah. who leaves to go to stack shelves. And as you say, nothing wrong with stacking shelves, no. but on a financial dynamic, that oh, just the differential between someone who's bonkers. professionally qualified it's in a clinical bonkers. environment yeah. and, and working in a supermarket. That that just doesn't feel right. So yeah, I think that's going to need to be addressed. It's it's bigger than a podcast, but yeah. I think that's something that's going to have to kind of you know yeah. come down the line. But no, it was really good to talk to him. Yeah, no, it, it, it was a great it was really good, really enjoyable. Yeah. Love Thank it. you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.